1: You're listening to 1059 The Region, and welcome to On the Market. This is York Region's exclusive radio real estate show. I'm station manager Tina Cortez, and my co host is Asif Khan with REMAX Prime Properties. Good morning, Asif. Good morning, Tina. We're leading off today with November sales numbers. What can you tell us?
2: I mean, November was ultra hot for the Toronto Real Estate Board. The Toronto Real Estate Board was up 14.2% in number of sales. And what's, you know, when you look at York Region, Tina, and we say York Region has been hot. It's been leading in the way for the Toronto Real Estate Board this year after an off year last year. York Region was up 17.7% for the month of November. Yikes. And, you know, that's great numbers. But when you look at York Region for the entire year of 2019, it's up 20.1%. And that's a phenomenal increase. What a bounce back year for York Region. Now, what does that mean in terms of active listings? Active listings are down. And that's why you're starting to see the average price creep up. I mean, for November over November, the average price was up 7.1%. That's a huge increase. Now, if you think about all the people that are waiting because they're waiting for that other shoe to drop, it's not dropping. And even though the average price keeps climbing. What you're going to see is that trend continue because if you look at active listings, they were down 27.2%. So this isn't new listings that are down, new listings are down as well, but the active listings are down 27.2%. What does that mean for the consumer that's out there for buyers and sellers? Sellers, you're in a great position to list because you don't have a lot of competition and buyers you're starting to get into panic mode because you have to scoop up properties quick. If you're in the market for a property, you need to jump on these properties because there's not a lot of listings out there. And you're going to start to get in. As we get into January, February, March, you're going to start to get into a lot of multiple offers. That's when the market will start to heat up for the spring. And people are going to start paying forty, fifty, sixty thousand $60,000 more again for the properties, just like the, the, t- the number of units we have a bill right now, they kind of resemble 2016 levels. There wasn't a lot of inventory, and that's what was driving the entire market because of price appreciation was due to a lack of inventory, and we're getting there again. Now, you mentioned a couple
1: things there. You mentioned we're getting into that multiple offer scenario, um, selling over
2: asking. Neither one of those are good news for buyers. For buyers, no, but the buyers still have a little bit of a window to get in and, and grab a home while the market is a little bit quieter than it would be, say, in the springtime. So, so you're saying right now? There, right now? Right you, now. You have to get out there and get a home now, you know, maybe early January and beat the rush from all the other buyers coming on because people will decide over the Christmas holidays, yeah, you know what, maybe it's time for us to purchase a home instead of renting or uh, purchase a home and move out of our parents' home. That's gonna, those conversations are going to take place now in the holidays and they'll be ready to go by mid-January after they get pre-qualified and have all their numbers together, their down payments together. They're going to start to want to be in the market by March or April. And your
1: suggestion is get in the market because the prices are not coming down.
2: The prices won't come down. I and mean, we had an off year. That was your window to purchase. And we're coming out of that now. We're pretty much out of it. So that window is closing for the people that are looking for deals per se. But price appreciation is a constant. And we're going to continue to see the prices increase. And we're going to continue to see them increase on a, a traditional level, which is 4 to 6% or so. And that's that's a normal increase for uh, at the housing market.
1: Did you want to take a look at some of the specific numbers in terms of November sales and some of the specific
2: areas, perhaps? Yeah, I mean, if we look at York Region, and let's, let's take a look at year-to-date until the end of November, you've got over 13,500 sales in York Region, which is huge. I mean, last year you had about 11000 in and change for that same period. And that's why you're seeing a 20% increase year over year. Average price in York Region, $936,000. $936,002. And we're starting to climb up to that million dollar mark again. If you look at what the most affordable areas in York Region are right now, it would be Georgina. I mean, Georgina's average price is five hundred and sixty-nine thousand dollars So, you know, that's probably the most affordable areas in York Region. King continues to be, you know, the most expensive area. They have a lot of luxury homes, you know, huge land. It's $1,376,178 if you, you're looking at average price in King. And everyone else, like the Markhams, the Richmond Hills, the, you know, the Vaughns, you're right around that million dollar mark. So again, we're, we're getting to those 2016 levels where that was a, a really hot market and people still have to buy homes. So there's, you know, 250,000 people coming in every year, 80, 90,000 of those people choose the Toronto area to move to. So that demand's always going to be there and we need more of a supply injection in order to meet that demand. And if we're not, this is what's going to happen. Our inventory is going to be eroded, so supply is coming down. And no matter what the government does with taxes or intervention, the main issue has always been supply. And until we get more supply, this is normal and it's going to continue. So what's your advice as we wrap up this
1: segment? What's your advice to buyers and sellers as we not only wrap up the segment but we're wrapping up 2019 and heading into 2020? Is it a lost cause? Can you realistically get into this market without some kind of help?
2: You know, I had a conversation offline with a gentleman who said, you know, maybe I'll rent for a couple of years and then get into the market. And you know, my question to him was what's the reason you're getting into the market? And he said, I want to be a homeowner. And I said, if you want to be a homeowner, the best time to get into the market is right now because in two years, the price is going to go up maybe 6 or 7% per year. Even if we're conservative, let's say 3% or 4% a year, that could be, that difference could be your down payment that you have right now. And if you're going to be throwing that away by waiting for two years, not only are you throwing away your opportunity cost, which is, you know, what you would get in for now as opposed to what you would get into the market for two years from now, but you're also throwing away the rent money that you're going to be paying for over the next two years. So it's always a good time if you're thinking of becoming a homeowner, the sooner the better. For buyers, you got to get in right away. For sellers, this is a great time for you to sell and maybe move up because you're going to get a deal on the house that you're moving up because that's going to go up. And at the same time, you're going to try and get as much as you can right now because inventory is at such a low level.
1: So if there's anyone listening who is maybe um, feeling a bit anxious or daunted by you know, this average price of a home in York Region is $936,000, is your suggestion to them is to think a little bit outside the box. Think away from Toronto
2: proper or southern York region and possibly look a little further north. You could. I mean, also take a look at Georgina because you're still in York region and it's affordable. But the other thing in York region, you only have the one land transfer tax. So there's still a lot of reasons that you should be looking at York region. It's still a great place to live. It's very family oriented. You've got all the amenities all around you, and it's very affordable. Now, when we're talking about the average price, the thing to remember is that includes condominiums. And In condominiums, the average price is about $500,000. If you think that you know 20% of our sales are condos, the average price of an actual home, a semi-detached or a, a townhouse or a full detached home, it's going to be a lot more. So keep that in mind when you're looking because people will say, how come this home is $1.1 million when the average is 936 That's the aggregate average, so that includes condos. And there's, there's a lot of opportunities out in York Region for you to purchase a detached home, and at the same time, condos are still very affordable if you want to live in Vaughn, Richmond, Hill, Markham. Okay, this is On the Market on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us.
0: Need to connect with Asif Khan from REMAX Prime Properties? Call him, 416-985-Khan. That's 416-985-5426. Or email asif at thehomeshop.ca. Now, back to On the Market on 105.9 The Region.
1: You're listening to 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to On The Market, York Region's only radio real estate show. I'm station manager, Tina Cortez, and my co-host is Asif Khan with Remax
2: Prime Properties. Thank you, Tina. Joining us back in studio again is Asif Qasim from The Integrity Tree. Asif, thanks for being here once again.
3: Thanks for having me back.
2: We're, we're heading into the holiday season where people are out there shopping and spending a lot of money without anticipating what's going to happen at the other end. Tell us a little bit about holiday shopping habits and how it could affect mortgage applications moving forward.
3: Well, it's supposed to be a really joyous time of the year, and uh, it is. However, if you're a home buyer and you are looking to close your property sometime around the Christmas season, it can be really stressful. And, And the reason being is that what happens is people go into Christmas season, they start shopping and they're doing all their holiday buying and they go in a frenzy and they run up their credit cards. The, pro- the problem being is that if you haven't closed your mortgage, the lender has every opportunity to pull another credit bureau and check your credit score and check if you've run up any bills. And if you've maxed out your credit cards, your deal could fall apart because the ratios would be out of line. And it happens often. Now, the truth is um, when I say it happens often, a lot of people will go and max out their credit cards. And lenders tend not to pull the bureau, but they have the right to if they wanted to.
1: So it's a chance you're taking.
3: It's definitely a chance you're taking. It's, it's just why that every time a client purchases something, your mortgage professional will tell you, Don't go buy new furniture, don't go buy a car, don't go and uh, buy new equipment or whatever it may be. They tell you not to do that until after you have the keys.
1: Now here we are, it's mid-December, people are shopping these days. Are you talking about incidental purchases? Because, you know, the retail studies that we've seen around this time of year suggest that people will spend between $500 and $1,000 over the holiday season. Is that okay? Are you saying don't go crazy?
3: What I'm saying is the 500 to to 1000 probably won't make a huge difference. For those going the to 5,000 range, that could impact your ratios, especially if you were borderline approved because your ratios were just barely enough to qualify. An extra $2,000 could push you over that number.
2: Hey, and Asif, we had an incident about four or five years ago where one of our buyers decided that he would purchase a piano for his daughter. Now, the the thing was, he was told not to you know, add any credit or anything like that. So he went out and he searched out a deal and it was don't pay for five years or, you know, one of those things that you see on TV, don't pay till 2035. And he went out and got this piano with this deferred payment. However, when it came time to close on his property a few weeks later, that was picked up as a debt and that threw off his ratios. Tell us a little bit about what happened with that.
1: Yeah, how could you have debt when you haven't actually... um used or spent any of the money. You're paying in five years or whatever it is. Well,
3: what happens is the lenders deem that to be an expense regardless. Um, because at the end of the day, it's additional debt that you've incurred that you're holding may be deferred, but they know it's going to be part of your ratios at some point in time. So you're going to have to increase your cash flow. Well, your cash flow will decrease as a result of that at some point in time. So maybe not today, but it's part of the equation at some point.
1: And what about folks who are, you know, have purchased a new home and they do want to take advantage of the deals and the bargains that are out there right now? They started back on Black Friday. They're going to extend into Boxing Day and maybe beyond. They want to take advantage. Are you suggesting, well, maybe don't take advantage or monitor the spending, check with someone before you buy?
3: I I would say your best bet is to speak to your mortgage professional, have them run the numbers and say, hey, listen, here's your threshold. You can purchase up to X amount of dollars without having a problem. Uh, And and then get some parameters and guidelines as to what will work and what won't work.
2: And the important thing is the the mortgage professional, I mean, all these rules are in place to protect the purchaser or the, the homeowner or prospective homeowner. Because we don't want to put people in situations where they're going to get in trouble because of an extra $300 a month that they just committed to. And maybe that's going to affect their ability to pay the mortgage. And that's why these ratios are set. And, you know, having the proper guidance going into it will help you coming out of it.
3: I think having the right conversation is definitely important to prepare you, because what you don't want to be is in a situation where you're supposed to get your keys tomorrow, and the lender calls you and says, hey, we're pulling back our approval, and now you don't have a home. It's in the middle of winter, and there are so many many more uh, ramifications of you spending more money than you should. And
1: this just isn't an issue right now, because some of those bills will start to come in in January. And that's when you're fe- you're feeling it, right? That's when you're really looking at that credit card bill saying, wow, did I really spend all that
3: money? I would often recommend if you're going to do a mortgage transaction, um, you might want to hold off on doing it in December and January on a purchase side of things. Refinancing is different because it's all built into the ratios. But uh, on the purchase side, maybe you might want to consider... Uh, seeking advice on what you should spend and what you shouldn't spend in that December, January time, because we tend to lose track of our spending at that time of year.
2: And, you know, it's it's very important for people that have committed to purchasing a home or, you know, even, even be in the process of putting in an application to buy in the early winter or early spring or late winter, early spring. It's really important for them to know how much this would affect their application. Because you don't want to be qualified for a home only to find out that, you know, racking up your credit card by $2,500 at Christmas time threw off your home purchase. A lot of these things can be deferred. And, you know, you got to think smart when you're out there shopping right now, as much as the instant gratification appeals to all of us, we almost have to say, okay, once I'm done my home purchase, then I'll go back and buy
3: certain items. I also know that. So it's not just Christmas season we have to worry about or holiday season that we have to think about. We have to take into account that it's vacation season. A lot of people in December take time off or or January, February, take time off. So if you're closing any time in those three months, you have to be cautious about how much you're spending on a vacation because often that's not a $200, 300 spend. You're putting out $1,500 or more to go on a vacation. And for those who are in the uh, investment side of things, it's RSP loan season. So December, January, et cetera. If you start taking out RSP loans, you have to take that into account to your ratios as well. So there's a certain degree of planning that goes into purchasing a home at this time of the year.
2: Great information, Asif. And if people want to reach out to you to chat about how purchases can affect their mortgage application,
3: how do they reach you? They can reach me at www.integritytree.ca or they can give me a call at 416-561-1258.
1: You're listening to 105.9 The Region, and welcome back to On The Market, York Region's exclusive radio real estate show. I'm Station Manager Tina Cortez, and my co-host is Asif Khan with REMAX Prime
2: Properties. Thank you, Tina. Joining us next is our resident expert in the real estate law field, Ricky Rathor from Rathor Beg Law, and Ricky's also the principal at REMAX Empire. Ricky, welcome back. Thanks, guys, for having me again. Ricky, we were talking about tenants offline and, you know, tenants are great. They help pay down your mortgage, but sometimes things can get a little tricky.
4: That's right. And ultimately, Asif, you know, what I like to tell clients is that your, your Residential Tenancies Act, first off, is very different from the Commercial Tenancies Act, uh, is, is the Bible when it comes to all things dealing with the residences that are tenanted. Uh, and so it, it's a very particular piece of legislation, uh, which is enforced by tribunal members that are very specific. And so if you don't adhere to the requirements of the act, you end up just going in circles. And, uh, more often than not, it's people who try to save a little bit of money attempting to, uh, deal with the act on their own when it comes to serving notices and all the other stuff that end up losing in the long run.
2: And let's talk about serving notices because we had, uh, 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 a lady call us that wanted. You know, she said, "Hey, we're getting engaged over the holidays. We have this property. We've just got a tenant, but we want to sell it. And and if they haven't given proper notices to the tenant, and they've just started this lease, that's going to be an issue."
4: Absolutely. So there's a couple
2: of things, Asif and Tina. Uh, first and foremost, what I w- what I want your the, the listeners to appreciate is that
4: you've got to treat your business in real estate like a business and not a hobby right and more often than not that means spending and allocating the resources required to hire a paralegal who goes to the tribunal on a day-to-day basis and fights these sorts of cases and and, and files a notice and as a lawyer myself i don't i don't even bother going into that, into that situation, and I hire paralegals on behalf of the company to go in and enforce these uh, notices and, and, and file everything that's required, because they, they, they know the nuances, they understand it. So first thing is, is that you've got to make sure that you've got the right people that are equipped and, and have the knowledge required. Now, going to the question, so in a scenario where, um, you know, a client will call me and they'll say, Ricky, I, I want to list my property. You know, so, so going back to the scenario, we have got a couple here that's getting engaged, say, want to sell their property, Uh, they they call the uh, real estate salesperson, probably someone from your office, Asif, and uh, they'll say that uh, Asif, come and list this property, right? And so the first question I get as a lawyer is, what notice do we give this current tenant so that we can stage the property and have them removed so that we can start the showing? And the reality is, is there's no such notice for such a thing. You cannot give a tenant a notice unless and until you have sold the property firm. And it's very specific legislation.
2: So suppose we get to that closing and or the the sold firm date, and we say, hey, tenant, we've sold this property and it's going to be closing in 60 days or 90 days. Take us through that process. What happens then? What type of notice has to be served? Because I'm sure there's our, our listeners out there are thinking, hey, I have, I have a property and I have it tenanted. What if I need to sell off my assets at, you know, sometime during the year before that Tennessee ends. What are the forms? How do you give notice? And what could or could not happen?
4: Okay, so let's walk through a scenario, okay? So we list the property. Now, the first question, okay, I've got a showing request. How much notice do I need to give my tenant? Well, the answer is very simply, you have to give 24 hour written notice to the tenant unless they've actually agreed to accept electronic notice. You have to serve documents at the property and the showing has to be between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. If you don't give the 24 hour prescribed notice, and uh, you try to enforce that walkthrough, you could actually end up you know, impeding with the tenant's rights to reasonable use and enjoyment of the property, which could put you as a landlord in default of the lease. So that's the first thing. Now, a lot of people confuse this because agents will call me and say, Ricky, well, the tenant's given me notice now that they're leaving. In that situation, it's no longer 24-hour written notice. There's reasonable notice, and the showing has to be between 8 and 8. So 8 and 8 is the key period. Now, we book the appointment, the buyer walks through, and the buyer says, this is great, but the existing tenant, their lease is way too low. It's 1000 bucks. market rent is 2000 and if I buy this property, I'm going to evict the tenant. Well, guess what? There's no such notice. If you are an investor and not an end user, you cannot give notice to the existing tenant to vacate the property so you can simply rent it out uh, to somebody after the closing. This is illegal, uh, and the penalties are, are, are very substantial. It's a uh, $25,000. Uh, If you're an individual, up to $100,000 if you're a corporation. Now, let's go to the next step. Let's assume that the buyer is an end user. If the buyer is an end user, you have to be so careful because they have to occupy the property for at least 12 months after vacant possession is provided. Now, the standard documents that we use when we're brokering these transactions as realtors, we use the ARIA documents. So the ARIA documents, by default, say that vacant possession is going to be provided. So if you're representing the seller as a realtor, if you're a seller using these forms, you have to appreciate that by default, it's such vacant possession is going to be provided. And so you need to tailor your contract specifically to suggest that you will file the requisite paperwork. The, the paperwork in this situation would be an N12. Um, as soon as the property is sold firm, you have to make sure your closing is at least 75 to 90 days out. And the the way the notice is served is it's served at the end of the month. So, for example, we're in December now. If I sell the property December 10th, my notice won't actually give effect until January. So January, February, which means my earliest closing would be March 1st, assuming it's a weekday. So it gets very specific in a situation like that. Once the notice is served, a lot of clients will say, should we now initiate the next process? Well, the next process is then to to, to serve the L2, which gets you your date in court. And when I talk to clients, I always say it's a good insurance policy. Your contract, like we've discussed in many of the other uh, shows previously, is, is like the sun. Everything else revolves around it. And so your contract has to be drafted to the effect that if the buyer does not obtain vacant possession because the tenant doesn't move out, the buyer needs to assume the tenant so that the seller is not in front of breach of contract. You've got to be so careful with these provisions.
2: Wow. So even if you serve notice, Ricky, suppose, suppose I sell a property on December 15th and they want to close March 1st. Yeah. So you, what you're saying is the tenant does not have to leave because you can't pretty much evict them until 75 to 90 days after you've given them notice, which would be nope. effective January 1st.
4: That's right. And so when you look at the N12, it actually says on the face of the document that this is a it's a legal notice that could lead to an eviction. It's not an actual court order. Mm-hmm. So what happens is after the N12, the landlord can immediately serve the L2 pay the prescribed fee, and get a date in court. Once they're at, in, in front of the tribunal, the member then looks at the case and looks at the merits of the purchaser. The purchaser should probably be there or have some sort of a certified affidavit, uh, ensuring that, you know, they've got on the record evidence that they intend to move on. Because a tribunal member doesn't buy the story that the buyer's going to move in, they could refuse to order the eviction. And if you don't have an eviction order, you can call the police, you can do whatever you want, Nobody will be able to remove that tenant from the property. The only party that can remove the tenant from the property is a sheriff or a bailiff, and they would only be enforcing an eviction order that the board would issue. So if you don't have the good grace of the board in that form, your tenant's not going anywhere. And if your deal's not structured carefully, you as the seller are in a lot of trouble. Now,
1: Ricky, what if the the landlord wants to change the game plan a little bit, wants to evict a tenant, try to get another tenant in for more rent? How does that
4: scenario work? these this is illegal so i mean obviously if the parties come to come to terms if they settle these things out it, it's usually cheaper to buy out a tenant uh, and, and throw a little bit of money around to, to resolve the disputes, if any. But uh, going back to the, the fact uh, of, the, of the case that you're proposing here, there's actually no legal grounds for you to evict an existing tenant so that you can simply rent it out uh, for more after the fact. It's very, very, very specific. And in fact, if it turns out that your your notices are, are fake or if there's an issue, these things can come back and and, and, and really... Uh, affect you in the future. We actually had a situation where um, there was a case where the the, the the tenants had agreed to rent increases which were illegal they were not the prescribed amounts and after the closing the new landlord took occupancy and uh, assumed the tenant and then the tenants hired a paralegal who then advised, hey these, these you know, rent increases, the, the, the paralegal advised that the rent increases were illegal and they were actually able to repeal some of the rent increases that were not lawfully increased.
2: You know, Ricky, what what if a tenant refuses to leave? So their lease is over January 30th. They, you've given them the notice. The place closes in March. We agree to have them stay until March, until the new buyers take over. However, March comes around. They refuse to leave. What happens?
4: And that's why you have to make sure you file the L2 simultaneously. As soon as the N12 is served, the next day you file the L2. You have that piece of paper in your hand, uh, and it, it, it's a small fee for what I call an insurance policy. If they don't leave, then you know, the buyer and seller can agree to an extension. Make sure your contracts are worded so you have the legal room for something like this. Now you call the sheriff and bailiff, you change the locks with a locksmith, you enforce the order, and the tenants are and the transaction will subsequently close.
3: Wow,
2: you're a wealth of knowledge on this. Now, if our listeners want to get a hold <laughs> of you, Ricky, to discuss this in further detail, what's the best way to reach you?
4: Anytime. I'm at 416-731-8478. Again, 416-731-8478.
2: I'm sure you're going to get a lot of calls after this show. Thank you very much. Anytime,
4: guys. We'll see you again next time.
1: Take care. Asif, please remind our listeners how to connect with you directly.
2: They can reach me at 416 985 CON. That's 416 985 5426.
1: And that's our show for this week. If you missed any part of On the Market, go to our website, 1059theregion.com. I'm Tina Cortez. Thanks for listening.
0: Need to connect with Ossif Khan from REMAX Prime Properties? Call him 416 985 CON. That's 416 985 5426. Or email awesome at thehomeshop.ca.